Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. When death happens, it leaves behind hurt, grief, loss, mourning, confusion, and so many other feelings to those of us who knew and loved the person that passed. In the last few months, there have been two deaths that have affected me personally. The first one was my grandfather who passed away late November, and he's someone I knew for my entire life, and I knew I was loved by him. And it was a death that I had to process with my family, with other people. The second death was Clint Clifton just a few weeks ago. And I found myself grieving over his death, not because I was close to him, but because I have friends that knew Clint better than me, and they were grieving. In this case, I felt the sting of death through others that were directly affected by it. And if you're struggling with someone's passing, I hope you know this is a safe place. In fact, there is no better place to go for comfort when you're experiencing loss than the church. We will pray for you. Heck, we'll cry with you. And we'd come alongside of you. Death can affect you either directly or indirectly, and we're here to grieve with you. Death is something that wasn't part of God's good design in creation. And we know this because death is a fruit of sin. It didn't exist until after the first sin in Genesis. We weren't created for it, and we weren't created for the mourning that accompanies it. Death is meant to be a foreign concept to us. And so today, we're going to discuss or continue our discussion about how Jesus is greater than anything. In the passage we read, the author of Hebrews talked about death, which has plagued mankind all throughout history. And it's important that Hebrews and we talk about this problem because it's an essential reason why Jesus is greater than anything. So for the last three weeks, you've heard Doug preach about Jesus being greater than anything, so we can't let go of him. He's greater than anything, so... He's better than any spiritual force or activity, and he's secured a better future for us than anything else. But we have to ask the question, how can Jesus be greater than anything if he died? If Jesus succumbed to death, that would imply death defeated Jesus. And if Jesus has lost to death, then all of mankind is defeated in death too. If God can defeat death, then what hope is there for us? And this passage actually gives us a lot of hope, despite death. 
I mean, one of the main reasons that Jesus came to earth was to die. See, Jesus wasn't like the rest of mankind trying to escape death. He didn't even try to avoid it. Like, if you were to read any of the four Gospels, Jesus talked about his death a lot. He sought out his death because he knew that is what his father had in store for him. And so that he could conquer death. And by conquering death, Jesus granted us a way to escape death. Not necessarily escaping an earthly death, but an eternal death. Which is far worse because an eternal death means to suffer the wrath of God forever. See, Jesus died the death that we deserved by suffering on a cross, but Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave by God's power, proving that death is defeated. So now anyone that surrenders their life to Christ will not perish. They will not suffer an eternal death. Instead, they will have eternal life with Christ. Just, so just because Jesus died, it doesn't mean that death is greater than Jesus. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus is greater than anything because he died. And that's actually the main point of our message this morning. Jesus is greater than anything because he died. And this passage teaches us three things about that that we're going to discuss. The first is that Jesus humbled himself to suffer death. The second is Jesus reigns despite his death. And the third, Jesus is crowned for his death. So let's jump in here. Our first point, Jesus humbled himself to suffer death. So in order for Jesus to die, he had to be made lower than the angels, as verse 9 of chapter 2 tells us. But we need to come up with a definition of what it means to be made lower than the angels. So the first thing we should do, as you should always do when asking questions at the, about the Bible, consider the context, right? What do some surrounding verses say about this? What do other passages in the Bible have to say about this? One thing we can consider is that when it says lower than the angels in verse 9, it's actually the second time this phrase comes up in this passage. The first time we see it is back in verse 7, which if you go back and read that, it also says, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. And this portion of scripture in verses 6 through 8, it might even be indented in words a bit in your Bible, is a quote from Psalm chapter 8. And Psalm 8, if you were to go back and read that, you'd discover that mankind is who is being talked about there. And you can also see in verse 6 where it starts with, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Now today, when we see son of man, we think Jesus. But in Old Testament times, when Psalm 8 was written, they would understand son of man to be referring to mankind. So all of the human race, starting from Adam and Eve to all of us here today, are lower than the angels. The angels are heavenly beings, and we are earthly beings. Now, we know what it means for mankind to be lower than the angels, but what does it mean for Jesus to be lower than the angels? It doesn't mean that Jesus is lower in status than the angels, 
And we know that because of everything we learned about in chapter 1. Christ is better than any spiritual being or angelic being. And the author of Hebrews is actually using Psalm 8 as a prophecy that is fulfilled by Christ. Mankind is the original meeting when Psalm 8 was written, but Jesus is the Son of Man in light of the New Testament. For Jesus to be made lower than the angels means that Jesus had to put on human nature. And Jesus is actually a more true Son of Man than us because Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to be human. He was perfect. He lived a sinless life which makes him stand out among the rest of God's creation. He is the supreme example of what God intended mankind to be. So we now have our answer. Made lower than the angels means that Jesus took on human nature. And just to clarify, this doesn't mean that Jesus was created into man or he was uncreated and recreated. Jesus has existed from the beginning of time through eternity. And friends, for Jesus to take on a human nature, gosh, it's one of the humblest things he could do. I mean, think about it. He experienced things he hadn't before, like he got tired, he sweat, he had to eat food for energy, he had to use the bathroom. You can laugh at that. (laughs) But doing this also opened the door for Jesus to face death. The only way that Jesus could have died was if he was lower than the angels. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him to be sin. I mean, how much humbler can you get, Right? Like, taking on human nature, enduring the temptations of sin his entire life, yet never giving in, just to go and suffer death on a cross, and then, while he's on the cross, becoming sin? And he did this for you, and for me, and all of the lost sheep in the world that haven't accepted him as their Lord and Savior yet. Now, this kind of humility deserves a response. It's the kind of humility that we are to model as followers of Christ. We're not perfect, and we will fall short of attaining Christ's humility while we're in these sinful bodies, but we are nonetheless called to strive for it. And I want to discuss a couple of ways that we could live out Christ's humility. The first, humble yourself to obey the Bible. The Bible is God's word to us and is our guide towards righteous living. And there are commands within the pages that we must live out. And if there's a command in Scripture that you know you're struggling with, I encourage you, don't hide it. Confess it to another Christian and ask for help. Like, we are not mind readers. Like, we can't always tell if you're struggling or not. So we, I just ask, encourage you guys, speak up if you need help. Come to somebody. It doesn't matter what it is, if you're struggling with anger, or if you're struggling with pornography, or jealousy, or poor spending habits, or wasting away your time in laziness by watching television. 
Hiding sins from your brothers and sisters is the opposite of being humble. Hiding is pride. Confession is humility. So seek out humility by obeying God in all the ways he commands us to live our lives. And let others help you. And if you're not sure how to obey God, or if you're not sure how to apply the Bible to your life today, then the answer is still the same. Come and talk to someone about it. Come and find me. Like, I would love to talk to you about how to follow God's word. Or if you're not being discipled by someone currently, look for someone who's further along in your faith than you and ask to meet up and read the Bible together. Discipleship is also a safe space where battling sin can be discussed. All right, second way that we can model Christ's humility, pray for a heart posture to do anything for God. You know, I worry that there are people in this room that are fighting against something that God has put on their hearts. Maybe it's a call to mission work or just some kind of work in the ministry or Maybe it's just a general sort of life change, like moving somewhere. And maybe this thing on your heart would mean you're leaving behind family, friends, or a career. And all of those things are good things, but guys, they keep people out of heaven. That should make us tremble. We need to pray for a heart posture to do anything for God. Even giving up good things, or our dreams, or our comforts. He has something so much better in store for us than to just excel in our careers. The example I'm about to give it's exactly what it is, an example. You can kind of think of it as like a, a good litmus test for yourself. If God spoke clear as day to me, Aaron, tomorrow I want you to go to your bosses, quit your job, and move to 29 Palms, California, and give yourself to the Pillar Church out there because they're struggling. I have to ask myself, would I do that? Would you do that if that was you being called to do something so radical? If you feel any kind of hesitation or resistance in you right now thinking about that, then you need to pray to God that he would replace those feelings with a willingness to serve him. We must have the right heart posture in order to obey God. And there is wisdom to be had in discerning whether to go through such a drastic life change or not, and you should consult other people. But the point I'm trying to make is that we need to be willing to obey God no matter what the cost. Even if it means death. A great passage for you to look at and pray through is Luke 22, as Jesus is praying before he humbly accepts his fate before his death. Starting in verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Friends, are you willing to die for God? 
even Jesus prayed for this kind of heart posture. Let's respond to Jesus' humility by praying for his humility. So Jesus is greater than anything because he died. We've talked about how these verses show us he humbled himself to die. And now the second point we're going to talk about is Jesus reigns despite his death. Look with me again in verse 8, about halfway into it. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. The word subjection simply means to be brought under control. And when it says for everything to be in subjection, it means all creation. So everything is in subjection to God and his sovereign rule. He's the one in control over his creation. Everything that's visible and invisible. The earthly beings and the heavenly beings, including the angels. Even Satan is in subjection to God. And we don't see all things under Christ's feet yet, as the end of verse 8 tells us. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But that is the reality. And we will truly see all things under God's control in the world to come. Now, remember what we said earlier about Psalm 8? Mankind is who that portion of the passage is originally talking about. And it says that God has put everything in subjection under his feet, his meaning mankind. Now, we are not in control of things like God is. but. God has granted mankind dominion over certain things. For example, in Genesis 1.26, in the creation account, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Another way you could think about it is that God shares his reign over creation with us. And that's what Psalm 8 means when it says everything in subjection under his feet, his meaning mankind, everything that God has given us authority over has been placed in our subjection. But there, there's a major problem with our rule with mankind's rule. See, we are the ones in subjection. We are meant to rule over God's creation as his ambassadors, but sin has corrupted that purpose. Because of sin, we have become subjected to things like tobacco or alcohol or our work sports betting, or shopping, or laziness, or whatever it is that you can't seem to pull yourself away from, no matter how much self-control you try to exert over it. We are the ones in subjection, and especially to death. You know, we, we think we're so clever with our medicines, and our vitamins, and surgeries, and diets, and exercise routines, But the best that those can do is delay the inevitable. We are all subject to death. Death takes old people, midlifers, young people, 
takes the rich, takes the poor, politicians, preachers, construction workers, fundraisers. And because everyone dies, everything that we thought we had subjection over, it just goes with it. And then in verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We don't see everything in subjection to mankind as it should be, but we do see Jesus who has taken death upon himself and defeated it. Brothers and sisters, Psalm 8 has been bought by Jesus for you. One day, we will pass through all of our agonies and sin and tears and lustfulness and the original intended rule of man over creation will be reinstituted in the world to come. Death and sin will once again be a foreign concept to us. We will reign under God as his ambassadors over his creation. We don't yet see it, but Psalm 8 is our destiny. Another thing that we should note about Christ's reign is that it lasts forever. You know, last week, Doug challenged us to make reading the Old Testament a more regular part of our Bible reading. And so I've started, pick, I picked up the book of Judges recently. And if you were to read Judges, there's a pattern that you'd find throughout the book. The nation of Israel would abandon the Lord and then turn to worship false gods of other nations, which then God would give them over to their evil desires and then Israel would be oppressed by their enemies. Israel would cry out. God would rescue them by, bringing, by giving them a judge. And then that judge would rescue them, and then the judge would rule over the nation of Israel for a time. The problem with that is that judge would die, and then the Israelites would turn back to their evil ways, taken over by their enemies, cry out. God would raise up another judge to deliver them. And this cycle repeats itself throughout the book. The point I'm trying to make, though, is that Jesus is a better ruler than the judges. The end of a judge's reign was marked by their death, just like how Queen Elizabeth's reign over England ended at her death. Christ's reign continues despite his death. Plus, the judge's reign only extended within the nation of Israel. Christ's reign is over everything. And he shares this with us. What an abundance of grace he has to give broken, sinful people like us a share of his rule. And friends, we must look forward to this. And we can do that by considering some of the things that are subjected to us today. I want to give you three brief things that God has given you control over and ask you to consider how well you manage it. First thing. God has given you control over your households. Is your home well-kept and hospitable? Do you welcome others into your house? If you're not a good manager of your home, then how can you expect to be a good ruler 
over anything else in God's creation. Second thing, God has given you control over your finances. Are you giving generously and with a cheerful heart? How much debt do you carry? Sometimes debt's unavoidable, like a house mortgage, but if you are in debt, are you trying to pay it off? Or are you just letting it sit there? Or worse, are you taking on more debt on top of the debt you already have? Like, don't, I'm trying to encourage you guys, don't squander away your financial control because Matthew 6 warns us that we cannot serve both God and money. Third thing that God has given us control over, your time. Earlier, we mentioned being lazy and wasting hours on end of watching television or playing video games or the like. Don't mishear me. I enjoy my occasional movie in Super Smash Brothers just as much as the next guy. But <laughs> I'm talking about if you come home from work day after day after day just wasting away your time when it could be going towards something more edifying, like being God's word or serving in some capacity like the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center or just not being in fellowship when the opportunity is there, like going to small group, or second Sunday prayer, or the marriage workshop in a few weeks, or just going on a run, just anything else more edifying. All this to say, make sure you are evaluating how you manage the things that God has given you reign over in anticipation of the reign to come. Jesus is greater than anything because he died. He humbled himself to suffer death. He reigns despite his death. And our third point this morning, Jesus is crowned for his death. Jesus was crowned. Not with a crown of thorns or of jewels, but with glory and honor. And our first points of discussion flow nicely into this idea because they're already a display of Jesus' glory and honor. Like, for example, his humility proves that he's the only being in all of creation worthy of this crown. Jesus taking on human nature and then was obedient to his father to the point of death. Jesus' reign over all creation is proof of his power. He's not subject to anything or anyone. His reign's established forever because he's conquered the grave, therefore death is in subjection to Christ. And Jesus was crowned, as verse 9 tells us, because of the suffering of death. The extent to which Jesus suffered was beyond any normal way to die. Jesus wasn't taken peacefully in his sleep. He wasn't in an accident that took his life from him. He didn't get sick and die from cancer. He was tortured. He was beaten and flogged and had nails hammered into his wrists and ankles. And he was forced to carry his own cross where he would be hung. He was also humiliated. He was spat on. He had thorns forced onto him, probably making his head bleed. 
and the Romans would mock his title, King of the Jews. And then he was chosen by a, by a crowd of people to go to the cross that would rather see him die than a prisoner who actually deserved to be punished. And while Jesus hung on the cross, he became sin. And then as Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Jesus then paid the wage of sin, death. Nothing about Jesus' death was by chance either. It was all planned by the Father so that Jesus could attain the highest status of glory and honor able to be bestowed on him. And in order for him to achieve that kind of status, he had to go through a death unlike any other. You know, we honor soldiers with the Medal of Honor for their heroic services to our country. But it's not about the medal. It's about what the medal stands for. It carries with it recognition of services and, as in the title, honor. But because of what Jesus did, he's worthy of so much more than the Medal of Honor. And God grants this to him. He's crowned with glory and honor. And one day, we will see this on full display. Like, we will see Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is worthy, because of his death, to have every knee bow to him. Every knee that is in heaven. Every knee that is in hell. Every knee of earthly beings and every knee of heavenly beings. Now, if you are wondering what glory and honor looks like, that's it. Just like how Christ shares his reign with us, he also shares his glory and honor with us too. Look at the Psalm 8 quote in verse 7. You have crowned him, mankind, with glory and honor. You know, we didn't pay the debt that we owe to God for our trespasses and sins. We didn't do anything heroic. But Jesus paid the penalty in our place anyway. And he still offers to us a share of his honor in the world to come. And why does, he, why does he do that? Look, even the psalmist in verse 6 asks, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? And that's just who God is. He is patient and loving and kind and he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he is mindful of us and he cares for us. In Jesus' final hours, he tells his father in John 17, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory. Jesus is greater than anything because he died. 
He humbled himself to suffer death. He reigns despite his death. And he's crowned for his death. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up at this time. You know, at the beginning of this message, we talked about death is a plague that we weren't originally created to experience. But in this broken, fallen world, there's death all around us. And death will be creeping on your doorstep too one day. And that's why we must be ready for it. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, I urge you, no, plead with you, set aside every weight and sin that gets in your way to run the race set before you. We are still subject to death, and you do not know how much time you have left. Humble yourself to obey God. Pray for a heart posture to do anything for God. And evaluate how you manage the things that God has given you reign over. And for those of you here this morning that aren't followers of Jesus, pray that God would transform your heart to accept him as Lord and Savior. Just because you are subject to an earthly death doesn't mean you have to be subject to an eternal death too. Today you've heard about all that Christ went through to snatch people out of the hands of death by taking on death himself. And this kind of humility deserves a response. And a non-response or a I'll think about it is still saying no. Death may be creeping at our doorstep, but Jesus is greater than death. Jesus shares his glory and honor with us, so let us go from here encouraged to live our lives in anticipation of seeing this glory on full display.